Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. This is Ben Olson in Washington, D.C. And with me today is Nathan Fox. I'm assuming you're in San Francisco, right, Nathan? I am in very foggy San Francisco. Uh, the closer we get to summertime, the worse the weather gets around here. So, so it gets colder? Uh, I, I think the average temperature is actually just a couple degrees warmer, but we get a lot of fog, and especially out, I live out close to the ocean, and so the closer you are to the ocean, the more fog you get. So we get some very cold, foggy mornings uh, in the summertime, especially. Hmm. Yeah, nicer days later. Um, I've been uh, really enjoying the weather. I bought a motorcycle. Did I tell you this? No, you bought yeah. a motorcycle. I bought okay, a motorcycle. Cool. Yeah, I uh, I bought a scooter earlier this year, and I've just been loving it. And uh, then I decided I had to upgrade, which my friends told me <laughs> I would do. Um, so I bought a little motorcycle, and I've been blasting around all over the place on that thing. Um, kind of funny story. I don't I don't have my license yet because I uh, hate the DMV, and I just it's taken me forever to get the. To, to get the DMV shit to work. Like their website won't work. Their phone, um, their phone system doesn't work. Uh, anyway, um, so I was uh, rolling through Cow Hollow the other day, um, Union Street, if anybody knows San Francisco at all. I was crossing Union Street and uh, I went through a stop sign at about two miles an hour and I got pulled over. <laughs> And wow. yeah, I was devastated. I couldn't believe it. Um, and uh, so this very, very nice cop uh, got out of the car and came and talked to me. And uh, she <laughs> took my license and she went and she sat, my driver's license, and she went and sat in the cop car for 15 minutes, you know, the way they do. I think they're just like in there doing <laughs> Sudoku puzzles or something. Yeah, uh, just trying to make you sweat, and yeah. I was sweating because uh, I was envisioning, you know, like you don't have a motorcycle license, you can't drive this motorcycle. We're gonna tow it, and you know, I just I thought all manner of bad shit was gonna happen to me. Mm -hmm. So she finally comes back 15 minutes later. She's super, super sweet, and she says, "Have you seen the news?" And I said, "Huh, no." <laughs> <laughs> and she said, "Well." There's been a lot of pedestrian fatalities lately, and our boss has been on the news talking about it, and so that's why we're out here now watching these stop signs. And I'm thinking, like, yeah, right, really a motorcycle ran someone over? I don't think so. More like a bus ran someone over. Um, <laughs> you know, it's I, it strikes me as a pretty thinly veiled uh, fundraising attempt for the city. But anyways, it's not her fault. She was super, super sweet. And um, yeah. so she wrote me... A ticket for the moving violation she wrote me a ticket for a fix-it ticket for not having proof of insurance because I had just bought the motorcycle like the day before I didn't okay. have proof of insurance well I didn't have insurance yet on the on the motorcycle so I got a fix-it ticket for that and she made absolutely no mention of the fact that I don't have my motorcycle license she just handed me back my driver's license and said all right, well, you be careful now. Have a nice day. <laughs> I, was just, I was just like, thank God, rode yeah. away. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, uh, you see, do you, do you have to have one? Maybe your license, like, 
No, you do. You do have to have one. You, in fact, you have, you even have to have one to to drive my uh, ride my scooter that I've been riding for four months. But uh, anyway, I finally managed to make an appointment at the DMV for the test, uh, or the uh, the written test. I went in and took the written test. I made an appointment for the written test. I had an appointment for 9.50 to go in and take a written test, which took me 45 seconds. Mm-hmm. How long do you think I was at the DMV for my 9.50 oh. appointment? Based on my own experience, I've been like waiting there for like an hour just for something. For an, with, to... with an appointment, right? Uh, I can't remember now if I had an appointment or not, but yeah, it's awful. This was how a, long were you there? Uh, I was there till noon for a nine nine fifty oh appointment. Gosh. I was there till noon. It's like you there's a line to check in. <laughs> it's like a it says appointments check in here, and there's like a twenty minute line. Then you get to the front of that line, and then they give you some paperwork that takes you again thirty seconds to fill out, and then you wait for another twenty minutes. Yeah. Then they send you to the other side of the building and you wait for another 20 minutes. It's just ridiculous. I get done with my test and then I have to wait for another 20 minutes mm-hmm. to, for the person to say, okay. It's just so badly. Anyways, I'm pissed off, but that's okay. I have my learner's permit now, which uh, on a motorcycle means that I can ride the motorcycle um, without passengers. And I'm not sure if I can ride after dark, but I would do both of those things anyway. So, <laughs> well, I think we figured that out from <laughs> the first part of this. Yeah, I'm sticking it to the man. So, okay. Yeah. Well, um, hmm. Uh, so, how do you do a test with like the actual test? They do they just they ride with you, I guess. Oh, that's just in the parking lot. You like go through some cones and go around a couple circles. That's like it's like the easiest thing in the world, but I just have to make an appointment for that and go do it. So okay. no big deal. No big deal. I'll, I'll get it taken care of. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, putting together this agenda, by the way, we have sure. some interesting stuff here today. I'll just give you guys a quick summary. Um, the first is going to be, let's just call it the title of this article, which is more sex means more money. Um, we'll get back to that soon. Then we have a question from Gary in Indiana about, oh. A non-traditional student, low GPA, <clears throat> wants to know what his chances are. Okay, yeah, and the importance of work, given the fact that he's been working for so long, I think. And then we'll tackle a logical reasoning question again from the June 2007 LSAT. If you don't have that, you can uh, just Google June 2007 LSAT and you'll... You can download it for free from lsac.org. Okay, so let's go to this first topic. More sex means more money. Now, this was a, uh, an article that was written about a study that was recently conducted. And basically, they found a correlation between how much sex you get and how much money you make. Now, there's not the people who get more sex or have more sex make more money well it's right so this is i I saw this online uh through a newsreader that i use called pulse and i there's this channel called the best of science this came from best of science friday april 24 the uh, author is charlotte Litton, and the title is more sex means more money and the subtitle is a new study finds that those who have more sex bring home bigger paychecks how bedroom behavior deepens your pockets. And I was already pissed off right there. That, that's, how, that's how much it took me to get pissed <laughs> off. Okay. 
Um, Why were you so angry? Well, so I sent this out to my class uh, to see if it could make them angry as well. Um, and they responded very nicely. I was, I was very happy the, that they um, spotted this. But <clears throat> this is maybe, what do you think, Ben? This might be the most common logical flaw that you see in the news. Um, yeah, I think, well, I, I guess it would depend on where you're reading because a lot of like good articles I've noticed. <laughs> yeah. We'll go through and actually kind of almost like an LSAT question say, you know, it's usually at the end of the article admittedly, but they'll, they'll go through and say this is correlated and they'll walk through other alternative explanations or problems with the study. It's kind yeah. of interesting in some ways, I think, but. Yeah, oh, and I'm seeing now that this is actually from the Daily Beast, whatever that is. Um, I think that's a political. It's a political thing? Yes. Okay, that, that, that's, I, I would believe that. Um, it, it's, anyway, a new study finds that those who have more sex bring home bigger paychecks how bedroom behavior deepens your pockets. And the reason why I'm pissed off is because that's correlation causation thinking. Um, the, the beginning of the article, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but the beginning of the article starts, employees with active sex lives perform better at work, a new study reports. Those who get it on two or three times a week earn 4.5% more than their less coitus inclined colleagues, proving that our bedroom and boardroom behaviors are more closely linked than we may like to think. And it's just what she's doing here is she's taking a correlation between sex and money and she's immediately inferring from that that having more sex causes you to make more money. Yes, which is flawed, right? But also but good journalism. <laughs> well, if she's looking for clicks, I mean, I guess she got a few clicks from me because I, I sent this out to my whole class. Just, but, but it, you know, we're the reason why we were looking at it is just so that we could ridicule her um, for her illogical thinking. Yeah. Um, this, by the way, is why I have a hard time relating to my friends and family and stuff because I can't help but um, be a dick about logic things like this. But um, just because there's a correlation between sex and money does not mean that sex causes the money. Uh, so that is definitely the flaw. If this were a flaw question on the LSAT, I would want my students to be shouting just because there's a correlation does not mean that there is causation. Sorry, I'm just laughing because I'm trying to imagine an LSAT question that tried to incorporate this in a... <laughs> Yeah, not a lot Formula. of no, the, not a lot of sex on the LSAT. There uh, is that one question that does deal with uh, interbreeding of Neanderthals and our oh ancestors. yeah, right yeah, that does give me a chance to say doing it in class. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, this is a this is a big problem, and the, the thing here that I mean, this made me a little angry, but. I don't know if I should be angry about this at all, but it says those who get it on, like you said, earn 4.5% more. I was thinking 4.5% more. I guess that's something, but it's not really worth. <laughs> well, yeah, so she's also like stretching. She's taking a, a tiny little increase and then stretching it into this big story about, oh yeah, more sex means more money. Um, yeah. So uh, I teach two standard attacks for a correlation causation 
argument. I don't know. I don't know how you teach this, Ben. This will be interesting for us to talk okay. about. Sure. Um, I teach two standard attacks, and I I ask my students with this specific example, and I might end up using this specific example for like every class I teach for the rest of my life. Um, for this specific example, I would ask them to come up with, like, if this were a weakened question, or if this were perhaps even a necessary assumption question where you end up picking an answer that defends against a weakener. Mm -hmm. I want them to be able to come up with two weakeners for a correlation causation argument. And, uh, well, how about I'll, I'll, I'll quiz you, Ben. I'm going to put you on the spot. Sure. Okay. The first one is, um, can you come up with a reversal of cause and effect? Uh, could you, a, an explanation that would use the reversal of cause and effect? Yeah, so the two things are sex and money, more sex, more money. So maybe it's not the sex that's causing the increase in salary, but the increase in salary or the people who have more money are more likely to have sex. So the money is causing the sex. Perfect, yeah. So just because A and B are correlated definitely does not mean that A causes B. It's uh, entirely equally possible that B might cause A. And in this case, doesn't it... I mean, not to be too overly cynical or whatever, but don't we all kind of commonsensically think that probably people that have more money have more sex? <laughs> I would think so. <laughs> um, so, okay. So I just don't, I don't, uh, that, that's, so that's why I'm pissed um, because she's just interpreting it in one way and she's ignoring these alternatives. Um, so the, the second I'm surprised actually that she didn't take the other interpretation. Well, because she, she that she, would be more like a headline grabber, no? Or maybe it wouldn't be. Maybe it's no. That's I think that's too obvious. Yeah, maybe um, it's too expected. But she it does, confirms what people already think and they get angry about. Maybe no. I don't know. Anyways, go ahead. Sorry. Well, she does. She does like later. You know, one thing the study didn't unearth is what comes first. Are higher earners better at talking people into bed? Or do those with good sex lives feel more confident when it comes to the working world? But then, either way, the message is clear. Getting it on is good for your health and with <laughs> paltry wages and some blah, blah, blah. So she like says, well, it's possible that this is totally bullshit. But either way, I'm going to go back to my same first thing again. Oh, God. Yeah. All right. This is the news people this is why i don't ever read the news actually is because the news is mostly shit like this yeah. um okay the the second standard attack that i teach mm -hmm. and, I, and i want people anytime there's a correlation causation argument um i want them to be able to come up with reversal of cause and effect and now that doesn't always make sense because sometimes there's a temporal thing where it's not possible that the that the second thing caused the first thing yeah mm -hmm. um so <laughs> excuse me so you'll see um you will see questions on the LSAT that that don't that aren't actually subject to a reversal of cause and effect approach. Sometimes it just is nonsensical. But um, the next one is just look for an alternate cause. So, can you tell me then an alternate cause that could have caused both the money and the sex? Sure. Um, maybe. You have a very outgoing personality, and that leads to a better sex life, as well as 
you know, a better work life, you get paid more because of your outgoingness or your assertiveness or totally, totally. So it could be better education. It could be you're better looking. I, I didn't think of your idea, but I love your idea of just, oh, you have this magnetic personality. Any of those things could cause both you to do better at work and to do better in the bedroom. And it could be that the bedroom and the work thing have absolutely nothing to do with one another. It could be that there's this third thing that causes both A and B. So Ben, you passed my test. Hey, thanks. Yeah. Um, I Do you teach anything else in addition to this when you talk about correlation causation or, or cause and effect flaws? Yeah. I think those are the main ones. I think those are by far the most important. And if, if, uh, if you get those two down, that's going to cover the vast majority of correlation to causation issues. I do add one more, and that is um, uh, a lot of, of evidence that's... It, so the, just to be clear, the evidence is going to establish some sort of correlation, and then the conclusion is going to draw some sort of causal relationships. Yep. And so that's where the problem takes place is because all we know for sure is that there's a correlation and there's a causal conclusion. Um, but a lot of times that correlation evidence is based on a study so we don't actually know for sure that that correlation exists we just know that a study has found that correlation or shown that correlation and so sometimes the correct answer also attacks the correlation itself by suggesting that the study might be biased or flawed in any way if there's any sort of flaw with the study which would then cast doubt on the correlation. If the correlation doesn't exist, then drawing a causal conclusion based on that correlation wouldn't make any sense either. So I guess I would add that third thing of maybe the correlation doesn't exist. Okay, although I would say that that's a far rarer type of flaw that you're gonna, or a type of error that you're gonna see. I mean, it, 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 is, it is there every once in a while, right? There'll be something like um, <clears throat> one of the studies was statistically invalid or something like that yeah you know I, I don't know i don't know the um frequency i just i think though it's a good principle to keep in mind in the sense that you know there are questions that touch on the validity of the study even if it's not in a correlation causation context so just okay. being aware of the sure. fact that when a study finds something it's not necessarily true sure you know it, it crosses my mind now since we're on the topic um when i used to teach for power score the power score books taught uh, a couple <clears throat> more um, techniques or, or things to think about, ways to attack a correlation causation argument. Yeah. And I actually think that they were, I, I think they were absolutely leading students in the complete wrong direction okay. because they, they would have the students um, look for instances where the cause occurs without the effect. And they would also have students look for instances where the effect occurs without the cause. Mm -hmm. And they would say that those are weakeners to a correlation causation argument. Yeah. yeah. But I actually think, I actually, when I think about it now, I can't believe I've never put this together now, but until now, but um, that actually isn't, isn't that training people to fall into certain traps? Uh, yes. Well, I think so, if, if I'm understanding you correctly. And this is actually bringing me back to when I read the Bibles a long time ago. And I felt like they said something very definitively, like, 
I could be wrong, so maybe. And I think this might be what you're saying, though, is I, I feel like they say in there that whenever you see causation on the LSAT, the LSAT is asserting that that's the only cause, but that is not true. No, that's totally not true at all. I mean, that would be confusing a sufficient condition for a necessary condition. Exactly. Or, and they yeah. sometimes test that, like in the wrong answers for flaw questions. Absolutely. It's yeah. wrong because it's like, well, sure, there could be other causes that doesn't undermine yeah. the fact that this is causing that as well. Yeah, this is the same issue. So so I can remember distinctly because I remember teaching it and I remember kind of going like I'm reading out of the book. You know, that's what that's what you do when you teach those classes, right? You're like reading out of the book. Yeah. Um, through those like scripted lessons and yeah. uh, which some of them were perfectly good, but but some of them, this one was like total bullshit where it was. Um, yeah. So if you want to weaken a correlation causation argument, you can you can try to find a place where the effect occurs without the cause. And then that was like one whole bullet point with a, like a paragraph of explanation. And then or you can look for the cause occurring without the effect. Mm-hmm. But. But now that I think about it, I mean, that's like saying um, my Uncle George smoked cigarettes for 80 years and never got cancer. Yeah. Therefore, smoking cigarettes can't cause cancer. Yeah. Or it's like saying uh, my, my Uncle George never smoked cigarettes for his entire life, but did get cancer. Mm-hmm. Therefore, cigarette smoking can't cause cancer. And yeah. both of those are like absolutely tested flaws of thinking on, on the LSAT. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I guess we should make the point then to make it really clear. Um, correlations do not have to be one-to-one. Causal relationships do not have to be one-to-one. Just because you can find somebody who survived a gunshot does not mean that gunshots don't cause death. Yeah. Okay. So... <clears throat> I think maybe we boil it down to three standard attacks then for a correlation causation argument. One is look for reversal of cause and effect. Two is uh, think about an alternate cause. And three is look for something wrong with the studies, statistically invalid studies, uh, something where the study didn't actually show what the study purports to show. I think the most, I mean, I could be wrong, but my gut reaction is the most common problem there is like you have an unrepresentative sample or something like right. that, which right. would then skew the, the correlation maybe. Yeah, and, that, and that, does, that does pop up from time to time. Cool. Well, that was great. And I, think, I do think I'm going to remember this um, more sex <clears throat> means more money example and use it in future classes. Yeah, yeah. Poor Charlotte Lytton is going to be getting ridiculed in my classes forever. Oh, <laughs> oh the author, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> well, okay, so uh, did you have anything else you wanted to say? No, I think it seems like we beat that one to death pretty well. Yeah. Okay. So the second topic, this is uh, from Gary, who's in Indiana. And so he's been... Let's see. How, how much of this do you think we have a well, lot? Well, I edited it down. Let me read it. I'll, I'll just read okay. it quickly. Okay. Cool. Um, so, yeah, Gary wrote us a very nice, uh, very long email, and he said lots of compliments and things, which I edited out. Um, but he but here's the basics about Gary. He's 36. He graduated in 2000. His GPA, he says, was abysmal. It was sub 2.5. That is indeed abysmal. And I can say that because that's what my GPA was. Um He says, though, that is reflective of immaturity rather than a lack of academic prowess. 
Um, however, I've experienced a lot of professional success in my career, specifically in disability through an administrative law setting. He's worked in Social Security, Medicaid, and other government entitlement programs. He's developed and run disability acquisition programs for community mental health centers, helped draft attorney memos. He's, worked, he's got experience working with attorneys. Okay, here's his question. If I'm able to reach my goal of 155 to 160 on the LSAT and I'm pursuing admission to, he says, practically any non-fourth tier school, which I have some issues about even mentioning that. I don't even know what he means by that, really. Um, do I have a good chance for admission? What do you think? Yeah. Um, well... If he's willing to go to any school, uh, yeah, like you said, I'm not sure what he means by non-fourth tier, but I'm just going to say, okay, so anything not below, like, top 100, maybe? I think that's what he means, because isn't, isn't tier one, like, the top 14, and then tier two is, like, the rest of the top 50, and then tier three is the next 50? I th or that That's how yeah. they used to do it, I think. And I, I got to say, I mean you and I are both professionals in this and like how often do you ever think about the tiers uh, uh never never ever ever uh, except, except for, for when tier students one, maybe <laughs> yeah Not i mean tier. we think and even about even then it's like vague yeah and we <laughs> we get i don't know what it is is it top law schools forums that 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 have people thinking about this stuff because it's funny so we get like Anne Levine on the show and she also doesn't give a shit about the tiers yeah. But we get questions from from listeners and and students all the time talking about the tiers and it's just I I wish people would just stop thinking about it. I think if I had my own tiers, I'd have top programs which are national, everyone else who's legit, and then people who are not legit, like they shouldn't exist. That's how Anne does it pretty much. I mean, it's like, yeah, legitimate national law schools. Which, like, UCLA is a legitimate national law school, even though it's not in the top 14. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then everybody else, like mm -hmm. my alma mater of UC Hastings, which tries to be a national law school, but which really probably should be considered to be a regional law school. Yeah. And, and then there are plenty of other fine law schools. And then you get to places that are like not ABA accredited and it's questionable what kind of value they're providing to their students. Yeah. And I don't know exactly where those lines are, but the, the thing with the tiers to begin with, it, it creates these arbitrary, this discrete things. Right. I mean, um, so I remember distinctly that there was a year where like, I think it was golden gate was 99th in the rankings one year. And that made them tier three. But then they were 101 in the rankings the next year, and that made them tier four. Yeah. And so, you know, if is Gary saying that he would have gone to Golden Gate when they were tier three, but he wouldn't go there when they're tier four? Yeah. Um, that that seems obviously ridiculous. No, I, I completely agree. At that point, you really need to be focusing on where the school is located, what kind of scholarship you're going to get, if anything, not the ranking yeah and we're not beating up on gary too much right i mean he he probably was just using this as some sort of a shorthand so that he could uh 
write us an email but no yeah i think this is just for everyone out there to like yeah. not think about this stuff as much at once you get below national schools you're really thinking about other things that are much more regionally focused or concerning you where you want to live where you want to practice um what kind of money you're getting at these different schools if anything yeah what should you know would you legitimately go across the country to go to school at this school you know, if the, if it's you're thinking about Columbia, then oh yes, you would legitimately go across country to go to that school. Um, but when you're thinking about something like a Hastings, I don't know that that would make sense for you to go across country to come to Hastings. I think you should be thinking of Hastings as like a more regional school. So, but do you want to live in San Francisco? Do you want to be a lawyer here? Okay, then Hastings could be a fine choice for you. Yeah. Um, Okay, anyways, let's say he's trying to get into uh, a school in, in the top 100. I think his 2.5 probably does eliminate him from um, most of the uh, super high-ranked schools, right? He's, yes. He's not getting into the top 10 or probably the top 14. Um, he could get into some marginally national law schools if he had a really good LSAT score. But he's saying... 2.5 and a 155 or a 160. What do you think his chances are of getting into a uh, school that's, say, ranked 80th in the country? Uh, I think they're very good, actually. I mean, one thing about his GPA is that although it's very low, he's obviously been working for a while. And so I think he's going to bring to the admissions process something that a lot of applicants don't bring, which is a very clear agenda. Uh, I think of what he wants to do. I've heard of schools around here, for example, um, who pick up these sort of non-traditional applicants who are already working in the legal field and are getting a JD for a very specific reason related to what they're already doing, and then they're going to go back with the JD and continue on. So are they going to get a job when they're done with school? Almost certainly probably the same job that they're doing, but with a better you know, salary or something like that or more opportunities. And so I think these schools look at these people as, yes, they're non-traditional, but at the same time, we take them on. They're gonna be serious students. They're gonna, you know, cause they're doing this for a very specific purpose. And then they're gonna graduate and get a job, which looks good for us too, cause in terms of our employment numbers. And so in some ways, maybe, you know, it's a sure bet, I guess, in terms of what's going to happen with these people. Yeah, um, I, uh, I I took a look at um, an LSAT score report. I just pulled up um, Santa Clara Law, Santa Clara University Law School. I just okay. wanted to look at their LSAT and GPA splits. Mm -hmm. And um, so for last year's class, the GPA range, um, 25th percentile was 3.04, 75th percentile was 3.47. So that's a dramatically higher window than what Gary's got. But yeah. their 25th percentile LSAT score was 156, and their 75th percentile LSAT score was 160. Mm-hmm. So there, you know, that puts Gary, if, if he reaches his goal of 155 to 160, that puts him either comfortably in that, in that window, or if he can get to 161 or 162, now he actually is, is uh, looking like a star at Santa Clara, at least on, on his LSAT 
Yeah. Um, I do think you're you're right because this degree is 15 years old, and because he was 21 when he was graduating. Um, he'll be able to write an addendum that says, "I was immature." Um, you know, I've since then I've grown a lot. Uh, my professional experience is far more indicative of my future success in law, uh, you know, stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. and especially if he has his 160 to point to, then I think he's probably has no, no problem convincing the committee that he has the horsepower to, to succeed because they, they want you to succeed in law school. And then, like you say, they want you to get a job. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's going to, obviously he's going to write an addendum, right? Yeah. Or, I mean, I think he could, oh, to explain his GPA. I think he needs for sure to have an addendum specifically related to the GPA. Yeah. 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 I think so. I don't know that it would need to be super long. I think, um, I would actually really prefer it to be super short. I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I, one, I mean, there's not a whole lot to say, and the more you say, the more silly you're going to sound. Probably. Exactly. I, that's yeah, for sure. For everybody out there, the more you say, the the sillier you look. <laughs> <laughs> As a general principle, that's why I look so silly all the time. Um, <laughs> no, but you, you know, two sentences. Mm-hmm. Um, to help the committee uh, assess your GPA and just point out the fact that you were. 21 when you graduated and you were immature and you have now racked up all of this professional experience you don't you, this is not a second personal statement you know you're not this is not a chance to you're, you don't want anything flowery it needs to be very businesslike but just make the plea that your LSAT score and your professional experience are a better predictor of how well you're going to do in law school yeah and I, I mean I'd be curious what like Anne and other people would have to say about the personal statement, but my my gut reaction would be that it should focus on something particularly um, challenging related to work that shows that he's succeeded in this area. And I think that would, you know, sort of be like the underlying message that this is more how you should assess me based on what I've done since then. Yeah, with the right personal statement, Gary is going to look like someone who is destined to be an attorney. Mm-hmm. You know, here here's all of my professional experience. I know exactly why I'm going to law school. Um, here's what I have overcome. Here's what I'm going to do with my JD. He, he, you know, at at 36 years old, Gary can far more credibly say what he intends to do with his JD. Yeah. Whereas his typical 21 year old that he's competing against, you know, when they say what they're going to do with their JD, everyone knows that they don't really know what they're going to do with it. Yeah. But but Gary has, you know, so much great experience that he he can actually um I think reasonably say what he intends to do. Of course he can still change his mind as well, but point is if he's been working with lawyers for 15 years, then he 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 has interesting thoughtful things to say probably. Yeah. Last right. bit of uh yeah, last bit of Gary's question here is just he's uh asking for recommendations for LSAT prep courses and tutors in central Indiana. Um I do not know of any, do you? I do not. Okay. Um Gary, I do have an online program which you can do from central Indiana. You can also work with either Ben or I via Skype. 
Um, so reach out to us if you are interested in that. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, should we do this logical reasoning question? Yeah, great. Okay, cool. So we're in the uh, June 2007 LSAT, which again, you can download that. Uh, just Google that June 2007 LSAT and it will come up. And right now we're in section two, which is a logical reasoning section. And last time we talked about question one and a long time ago we talked about question two. So we're on question three. And I'll just go ahead and read it so that if you're listening you can know what's going on here. Um, it starts out, a century in certain ways is like a life. Oh, I, I love this already. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> and as the end of a century approaches, people behave toward that century much as someone who is nearing the end of life does toward that life. So, just as people in their last years spend much time looking back on the events of their life, people at a century's end, blank, period. So then the question says, which one of the following most logically completes the argument? Nathan, at this point, what would you do? Well, I would have filled in that blank way before I even read the question stem. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I can't help but follow along with this argument. Sure. So this is one where I feel like the answer would just be spilling out of me before I even, before I even read the question. I mean, yeah. I'd, I'd be reading the argument. So, so just as people in their last years spend much time looking back on the events of their life, people at centuries end spend time looking back on the events of the century yeah what not looking forward that's what yeah. you should do i'm just kidding I'm yeah trying to but make i this mean a little right more... drinking champagne and partying in times square <laughs> I, like it it's this is a kind of just like are you are you are you following along you know are you participating <laughs> yeah Th this is this is an easier question so but I think yeah. it's an easier question, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's exactly what I thought, and that's probably what a lot of our listeners thought as they were listening to that sentence. It's pretty predictable, given what they just said. Um, so now we just have to see what answer choice best matches what you just said. Yeah, so I wanted to say, uh, spend time looking back at the events of the century. Yep. Okay, answer choice A, reminisce about their own lives. If it said reminisce about the century, I might like it. Yeah, might keep that open. But no. Nope, not about their lives. Okay, B, fear. <laughs> I like this already. Fear that their own lives are about to end. Yeah, no. Nope, okay. C, focus on what the next century will bring. Yeah, I mean, that's a trap if you're just not, if you just weren't really paying attention to what, the what the argument said right i mean it says just as people in their last years spend much time looking back <laughs> yeah then you no know, focusing on what the next century will bring is not like looking back on your own life so yeah no. th this is my horrible joke so yeah now answer choice d become very interested in the history of the century just ending so that's the best one so far yeah little weird the whole history thing right so yeah. but i guess I if would, you're 
if you're very interested in the history of the century just ending, that history is looking back on the events of the century. Yeah. So. No, it I mean, makes sense. It's just like not exactly the words I had in mind. No, me I'm, either. I'm assuming that um, I, I think we do the same thing here, right? We say, okay, probably correct. Keep it open. Just check the last one for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So E, reflect on how certain unfor- unfortunate events of the century could have been avoided. Yeah, I mean, the the paragraph, the argument, or whatever it is, the, the stimulus never said anything about regretting things in your life. Yeah. If you're picking E, you're like sad. <laughs> <laughs> or you're someone that you know just died and apologized to you on their deathbed. I mean, no, you're, you're bringing in extra stuff if you pick E here. Yep, never talked about it. So I think the best one is definitely just become very interested in the history of the century just ending. Great. Yeah, I think so too. So we pick that and then move on. Should we do the next one? That was I think we should, but one. can we talk just a little bit more about this type of question? I sure, think, of course. Um, if, if you uh, say you narrowed it down to two answers here, Mm-hmm. Um, would you be would you be going for any like advanced technique here, or is there any is there I'm fishing. I'm trying to elicit the yeah. I'm no, I do have some thoughts on this actually. So this is this is a complete the argument type of question, mm-hmm. um, which I actually which I actually group into. Inference questions and strengthen questions, depending on what the blank is that you have to fill in. So in this case, the blank that we're filling in is a conclusion, right? It's part of the conclusion, so it's something that's being concluded or inferred from the the rest of everything else that was said. Um, whereas in like a strengthen one the blank, you might be filling in a premise that you would then use to support some other part of the argument. Um, That's not as common, but it does happen. But in any case, because this is something that I would conclude from the passage, this is is an easier one. But if it were harder or we were really debating between two, uh, something I would focus in on is the word strength of the two answer choices because a lot of times conclusions are not great conclusions because they just go a little bit too far. Maybe they use all when they should be using most, or they use most when they should be using some or many, or something like that. So if I were debating between two and a harder one, I would look at that word strength, probably. Yeah, so um, the first thing that you said is what I was looking for there, which was uh, you group this into inference question most of the time, um, Mm -hmm. which I just call a must-be-true question. Um, This is... I think when in doubt, you should probably treat questions as if they were must be true questions. Yeah. And when in doubt on this fill in the blank type of question, they're usually not looking for you to go the next step. They're they're not looking for you to put words in the author's mouth. They're not looking for you to come with anything dramatic and forward looking. They're almost always looking for you to pick a conservative answer that has justification from the the information that you've already been given. Mm-hmm. So since I would, when in doubt, put this in a must-be-true category, yeah. I would definitely, um, like you say, 
I would be, if I narrowed it down to a 50-50 and I really couldn't decide, I would be preferring an answer that feels like a must be true answer, which is a more weakly stated answer. Yeah. Something safer, something more conservative, something that says sometimes instead of something that says always. Something that says can happen rather than must happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, this is, um, I've been seeing this issue come up often lately, especially with like higher performing students. It's, it's awful tempting to just, you want to figure things out. So you want to like go the next step, but that's mm-hmm. just almost always wrong on the LSAT. Yeah. Yeah. So just I, when in doubt, it's a must be true. Be conservative. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You want to move on? Question well, number four? Yeah. So actually before we move on, oh, I yeah. just realized this, uh, a lot of people have been asking me about unless lately. Okay. I didn't know if that's something we can talk about and still make sense of it on the show, but what do you think? Um, not in the context of any of this, right? Just no, just outside. Just, make up just our own stuff. Want to talk about unless? Sure, yeah. I'm happy to talk about unless. So I think we might describe unless in different ways. So just based on what I've seen in your encyclopedia, so I'd okay. be curious how you explain it to other people, uh, to your students, and then I'll I'll give you my two cents on it, and then we can see if we can come to something that will help people. Maybe one of those or both of them will help people understand exactly what unless means. Okay, um, so this could be uh, possibly difficult without a whiteboard in front of me, but I w- I will tell you a funny anecdote. Well, I think it's funny. It's at my own expense about okay. unless. Um, if you watch my online class, my online class is a recording of me in the classroom. And I had a student, uh, I was talking about unless I was, I was teaching this little lesson about unless, mm-hmm. and, um, I had a couple things to say about it, which I think were correct. Uh, I think unless is something that in many cases you can understand intuitively. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that you need to have a technical way for dealing with unless, um, some people are just going to be able to sort of puzzle it out. You think about the unless and you're you're able, whatever the sentence is, you're able to figure out what the sufficient condition is and what the necessary condition is in an, in an intuitive fashion. And so, and I like to encourage people to be able to do things in an intuitive manner. So I'm perfectly fine if you understand unless and you have no problem with it, I'm perfectly fine with you just, have, just having no problem with it and being able to do it intuitively. Um, but one of my... One of my students uh, then said to me, as I was explaining, there was a harder unless statement. It was like something a little bit abstract. It was like, you know, A unless B or something. Mm-hmm. And I was mess- <clears throat> messing around with it on the whiteboard and showing people how it works. And a student uh, piped up and said, and this is all on the video, a student piped up and said, hey, Nathan, doesn't unless just equal if not? And I, I was like, oh no, no, no! I, these formulaic things like that—it's never that simple. It's, it's, it's never. No, you can't just replace unless with if not. It doesn't work. No, I'd, I've never heard that before. There's no way. No. And then um, I went home, and then I thought about it, and then I realized that he was absolutely correct. And then I came back, at, and it's in the beginning of the the next lesson, <laughs> in the online class, is me 
apologizing to the class and saying, hey, actually, let me show you this. Uh, yes, it's true. It, you can always just replace unless with if not mm -hmm. and then rearrange the sentence and then it just works perfectly. So um, that was me after teaching LSAT for, you know, seven years, like learning something completely new um, about the way unless works. So the lesson that I teach in class is now I just I show people how unless can be replaced with if not mm -hmm. and then you um, but but I don't that's not my first thought my first thought is I think I can intuitively understand this but if I can't intuitively understand it then maybe I'll take it through this process of replacing unless with if not and I would need a whiteboard to show you how to do that yeah um Okay, so I do something similar in the sense that I say, I, I, I do repeat over and over that unless means if not, but I've also found that by, um, that sometimes I've, uh, that I make it too short by saying that, and I do need to walk through and explain why that's true. Um, but it's interesting, I, I agree with you on the intuition, um, a lot of times, and I think actually when I took the LSAT myself, I didn't have a rule for unless. I just did it intuitively. Yep. That said, now that I guess what I find is that, and this is for myself, and I, I think for, for students as well, um, on occasion, not, not everyone, of course, but when the sentence is in a you can't do something unless format, like you can't go outside unless you put a coat on. That's a, a sort of a construction that I think we've heard our whole lives. You know, you, you, yeah. can't, you can't go play with your friends until you've done your homework or unless you've done yeah. your homework. And so I think it's something that intuitively we can translate um, without really understanding what's going on. But as soon as the LSAT changes that construct a little bit, they make the first part of it positive. Like if they say, yeah. it will rain unless it's not Tuesday. Totally. Yeah. All of a sudden everybody's like, like it just shuts down. And sometimes I find myself like intuitively wanting to interpret an unless statement uh, in a certain way, but then applying the if not rule and being like, oh, it's different. So I don't have a lot of confidence in my intuition unless it's a very straightforward sentence <laughs> like the one you just said that you've done less yeah and, and you're right if the first part of it is negative which the, the sentence you just said was negative the first part was negative and it, mm -hmm. then it totally makes sense mm -hmm. but yeah you're right when you have something positive unless yeah then it then it becomes difficult let me give you an example i think that i think so here's an example that i sometimes mess around with with students um because i think that this leads to a sort of un intuitive is that a word yeah uh yeah. unintuitive result yes yeah uh, mm -hmm. what what if i were to say in real life what if you invited me to a party and i and and i said back to you i will go unless jimmy goes yeah in real life don't i kind of mean if and only if if I say that yes, in real life, we, we mean something. Yeah. And I've talked about this too before. You're exactly right. We mean something different when, than when we say that. Cause what you literally said is like, I will go unless Jimmy goes all hell can break loose and you're going to that party no matter what. The only right. time you won't go is if he goes. And well, even then you still might end up going. Right. <laughs> right. 
that, that I can, I could show up holding hands with Jimmy. According yeah. to the sentence that I just said, I'll go unless Jimmy goes. On the LSAT, I have said, I will go if not Jimmy goes. Yeah. So if Jimmy doesn't go, then I have to go. Yeah. But I still very well could go anyway. Yep. But in, in real life, if I said, I'll go unless Jimmy goes, I'm kind of saying, I don't like this dude. If he goes, I'm not going to go. And I will go if he doesn't go. So I think I'm the, that's where we're using unless in common usage on a way that the LSAT does not use it. Yeah. And, and even then, like you're saying, even if you're thinking to yourself, well, if he doesn't go, I'm going to go. That's still not really technically true because in the back of your mind, you I mean, if you got in a car accident on the way there or whatever, you would be like, okay, well, in that case, I'm not going either. But technically what you've said, there's no nothing that can stop you from going. Right, right, yeah. Cause Someone you're, could you're, fill you with bullets and you'd still right. be like, oh, I'm going to that party. Right, yeah, you're committing to this if-then thing, which, of course, in real life, there aren't, there just aren't so many of these clear if-then situations as there yeah. are on the LSAT. The LSAT has formal logic with these formal sufficient conditions and formal necessary conditions. I want to think, did Graham say last time, I think he might have said that in real life there actually aren't these things there aren't such things as if then well, situations he was, he was saying that there aren't like we were talking about what's uh, what's necessary to go to law school and it was like oh well you have to take the LSAT, you have to apply you have to do all this stuff and then it's like well what would be sufficient to go to law school and it's like uh i don't think there really is anything and i was thinking about that and i agree 100 percent with that i don't think there's anything sufficient that would guarantee that you're now going to go to law school but i think it's content dependent because I was giving some examples in class about life. I say, oh, kind of, this is the stuff that you do too, right? Like you need water to live, so it's a necessary condition. You need air to live, et cetera. And then someone's like, well, what's sufficient? I'm like, well, I don't know if there's anything sufficient. But then I thought about, uh, I don't get, I don't mean to be too morbid here, but for death. No, yeah, the contrapositive. Anytime you can come up with it. Yeah. To come up with sufficient things for that, right? Well, if you have a necessary condition, then by definition, you also have a sufficient condition when you do the contrapositive. Yeah. So then, so I guess, I mean, there really are then things in life that are necessary and sufficient that they must exist. Or things in death. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, at least in that way. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. So, um, I mean, to circle back, I guess, to the. To, this is what happens when two uh, LSAT teachers get together and chat, by the way. Um, <laughs> everybody's everybody's uh, <laughs> moved on to the next episode. Yeah, yeah. The, you can hear all of everybody's uh, iPods turning off across the country. Um, yeah. Circle back to unless. I think I do think we've uncovered something kind of important, which is that you sometimes need to be careful when you see unless on the LSAT. Uh, unless... Sometimes, commonsensically, in everyday life, we might mean if and only if when we say unless. Um, the part that really blows people's mind is the part about where I can show up with Jimmy. Yeah, yep. Like, we could be literally best friends at the party. Yeah. And I, I have said, I will go unless this dick Jimmy goes. Mm-hmm. But that does not prohibit me from going when Jimmy goes. Yep. What it, The only thing on the LSAT that it would prohibit is Jimmy being gone and me being gone. Yeah. Okay. 
So I, I one one thing I want to add here, and yeah. the last thing, and that is that when when the whole if not unless equals if not fails for people, sometimes I like to explain it this way, and that is that every unless statement has two clauses. So if you say a unless b or I I will eat cheese unless it's moldy. Eating cheese is one clause, being moldy is the other. So you always have two clauses, A unless B. Yeah. And I, what I like to say to them is it doesn't matter which clause you choose. You can choose A or you can choose B. But whichever one you choose, you need to make that one your if clause and you need to negate it. And then you make the other one your then clause and you don't do anything to it. So again, it doesn't matter. Like sometimes it's easier to choose one or the other depending on the the sentence but whichever one you decide to make your if clause that's the one you have to negate and then you leave the other one alone and by negate i mean make it the opposite of what it is so if it so says, if it was negative it becomes positive it becomes positive and so forth so so i will go unless jimmy goes so that's either if i'm not there jimmy is there or if jimmy's not there i'm there that's okay. exactly right yeah but if it was i will go unless jimmy doesn't go then the sufficient condition is either me not going or Jimmy not not going. Yes. Yep. And then you leave the other thing. You don't mess with it. Whatever one you decide not to make your if clause. Interesting. You're blowing my mind. <laughs> and the reason it works for anyone who's going to dig deeper here is, is they're just contrapositives of each other. They're, sure, sure. So they mean the same thing. Sure. A, uh, if not A, then B. So if not B, then A. Interesting. I think people, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've heard people say a version of this. Like, I think I've heard people say, you know, oh, well, you just negate the sufficient condition. And then the other thing is the necessary. Yes. But, but it's like, then people don't know what's the sufficient condition. And then they also, they think that automatically means that the sufficient condition is always going to be stated in the negative. Yeah. Yep. But what you're saying is divide it up into two chunks. There's mm -hmm. what's there's one side of the unless and then there's the other side of the unless. And they might be positive and they might be negative. Yep. Draw an arrow in between them. Yes. <laughs> Doesn't matter which one you put on the left and which one you put on the right. Yep. And then negate the thing that's on the left. That's exactly right. Negate the if clause. So if it's if it's positive, it becomes negative. But if it's negative, it becomes positive. That's right. Interesting. That is a very technical and non-intuitive way to understand it very true my the only reason i rely on it so much now is that it works when well it works yeah and but also when the sentence is not like if the sentence is very intuitive you know like there, i'm just thinking of that one game right now that says v cannot be selected unless h and m are selected to me, yep. that makes sense. So if you have if v, v, you better, then H and M. Yeah. yeah, you better have H and M because V depends on those things. But in as soon as, especially in logical reasoning, like you know that traffic one with people living down downtown and consumers go up and the cost uh -huh. of living yeah. goes down. I think that's one that gets people messed up all the time. And it's just like if you just say, okay, forget what you that sentence says. I see unless I'm going to take one. I'm going to make it my if clause. I'm going to negate it. I'm going to make the other one this it's very analytical but that's a that's a kind of question i'm going to be drawing anyway so now i'm drawing it and i know that once i get it into <clears> if then <throat> form i'm not going to get my sufficient necessary stuff mixed up
Awesome. Yeah. Um, lots of ways to skin a cat, right? So yep. <laughs> this is this is just one of your tools in your arsenal. We're definitely not saying that you need to do every unless that you see exactly this way. Yes. Um, we're saying, hey, how about having five different ways to understand unless when you when you see it? Yep. Awesome. Thanks, Ben. I learned something new. Cool. Likewise. Thanks. Uh, um, I guess that's it, huh? Yeah, I, maybe a quick book update. We're, uh, we're working on covers for the new book. We're going to be sending out a survey shortly um, to see which book covers you guys like. The title, have we announced the title? No, I don't think we have. Or maybe we have. You might have mentioned it last time. <clears throat> but it's uh, the yeah, Logic Games Playbook, right? The Thinking LSAT Logic Games Playbook. Yeah, I yeah. think that's good. I like it. Um, so we'll have some uh, covers out and we'll have some sample. We, I know we've been promising the sample content for quite a while, but that's, uh, that is imminent. Um, we would love your feedback on what you think about the title. We'd love your feedback about the, the book covers. Uh, please go to thinkinglsat.com and sign up for our newsletter if you haven't already. Not only will you get an update every time we post a new episode, but you'll get on the list for uh, that free Logic Games content, which is going to come out very shortly. Um, you think we can get that out before the June LSAT? I think we can. Uh, the sample content? Yeah. Or, yeah. No, no, definitely. That will happen. Okay, so next couple of weeks then we're 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 gonna get that out. Yeah. Um, awesome. I don't have anything else to to announce. I don't think. Oh, I just thought maybe we should do, like do some shameless titles, like how to master the games in three days or something like that. <laughs> yeah, this one weird technique that <laughs> works for every logic game. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. All right, buddy. Thanks. Talk to you again soon. Okay. See ya.